Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The 11 to 1 show. Pop star set to release Tell All Explosive Memoir and this is one everyone is going to want to read. I'm going to tell you all about it after Paul Simon. You can call me Al on 11 to 1. Paul Simon, you can call me Al, you can call me Sinead. I'm here till 1 086 1800 658 if you'd like to get in touch. It's happening. It's going to be explosive and everybody is going to want to get their hands on this book. Britney Spears has announced that her memoir is written and she says she has worked her ass off to get the memoir written after announcing that the book will be on her terms. So she says she's had a lot of therapy to help get the book done and she hopes that fans are going to like it. Like it. I think people are going to be already going, how do I pre-order this? This is, you know, something I think even non-Britney Spears fans are going to be even a little bit interested in this because, it, you know, her life and everything that has gone on with the conservatorship has been so publicised. So it's called The Woman in Me and it's going to be published by Gallery Books, which is uh, this October, as I mentioned. And uh, she had a video posted on Instagram yesterday announcing it all. But according to the publisher, this book will be a brave and astonishing moving story about freedom, fame, motherhood, survival, faith and hope that will also cover the singer's battle to end her conservatorship. So that had started, as we know, in 2008 and very much so, you know, not just her finance, finances and career, but really the her freedom, her body, what she had the right, no right over what she could do nearly with her body. Um, the fact that her uh, she wasn't allowed to get pregnant. So many more things came to light in regards to this. And um, something like this kind of conservatorship is really kind of something that is reserved for people who are very, very old or ill. And she was neither of these things and she was able to work and continue to work at such a high level. She performed in Vegas, all of this. So in a press release, um, the senior vice president and publisher of Gallery Books, Jennifer Bergstrom, says Britney's compelling testimony in open court shook the world, changed laws and showed her inspiring strength and bravery. I have no doubt her memoir will have a similar impact and will be the publishing event of the year. You said it, Jennifer. We couldn't be more proud to help her share her story at last. Um, So there's kind of It'll obviously be on audiobook and all that sort of stuff as well. But apparently the deal is uh, to be worth something like 13 million. So there you go. The Woman and Me, it's going to be released in October. I have no doubt people will snap it up before that. But I would say that's going to be a big hit as well around Christmas time in terms of gifting. I would be so intrigued. I want to hear from Brittany in her own words. So many other people have spoken for her. 
like uh, Jennifer says there, you know, we heard her in court. That was powerful. That was powerful stuff. That made everybody kind of stop and go, oh my God, the Free Britney campaign was right. All of that rumbling that was going on about what was going on with her was accurate. What have we kind of, what have we done? We've sat down and sort of let this happen to this this amazing person, this huge superstar. If this can happen to a huge superstar, who else can it happen to sort of thing? And we had such an interesting discussion uh, over the weeks um, of that trial uh, that came to light with the Conservatorship with the fabulous solicitor Elaine Byrne breaking it all down for us and making us realise what was actually behind all the legal jargon and the fact that there is an equivalent of it here in in Ireland called wardship and absolutely somebody like Britney Spears would not be under a wardship here in Ireland but very very interesting by the way if you ever want to listen back to them they're on lmfm.ie on the podcasts Ah, sure, look, we may as well hear from the woman herself. Here she is with Every Time. Britney Spears with Every Time. Now, on Will Gaelga Agut, well, whether you are fluent or you have only just the cupola fuckle, there is an interesting event happening tomorrow in Ryan's Bar. I'm going to tell you all about that. Plus, I've got music from Keen Duck Row on the way. The 11 to 1 show. It's a rite of passage, isn't it, for teenagers to head off for three weeks during the summer holidays to go to the Gael Talks to learn Irish. Well, there's a pop-up Gael Talks coming to Navin tomorrow. I'm going to give you all the details of that after Keen to Grow. Waiting, I'll be waiting. Oh, what could be better for them? You know, for teenagers who'd just be bored hanging around the, t- the, the town or the house, just cluttering up space, being, you know, annoying. Then send them off for a few weeks in the summer, spent with friends, fun activities, away from the structure of parental supervision to the Gale Tucked. Yeah. And there's a pop up Gale Tucked. It's going to be happening in Ryan's Bar tomorrow, Thursday, 13th of July. And no matter what level of Gale you have, so if it's just a couple of fuckle, or if you have a bit more than that, you are encouraged to come along from 8 pm and take part in that. And this got me thinking about the Gale Talks because, you know, it is a bit of a rite of passage, isn't it, for a lot of uh, teenagers and I think a lot of people will have fond memories from time spent away from home and people are, you know, I think I think it's it's good. It's good for teenagers to go off, be away from mommy and daddy for three weeks in a place that's very remote, <laughs> which a lot of Gale Talks are, and, you know, have to kind of get on with things. And I remember being sent to the Aran Islands, to the Gale Talks over there. Oh, listen. That is a beautiful, stunning part of the the country. It really is absolutely amazing. And this whole idea of being on the island, it's just fantastic. It really is. And at the moment, my own eldest is off at the Gale Tucked. And uh, yeah, she's like, God, now this week it'll be, this weekend it'll be two weeks. So she'll be back before we know it. But it got me thinking of all the things that you sort of remember about the Gale Tucked. And the top of the list here and the one thing I think that people will remember most from the Gale Tucked, besides their friends and the crack, is the ban on tea. Oh, listen. There was always kind of jealousy as well if you had like a, a sound ban on tea that cooked really well and sort of let you stay up past the, the sort of normal bedtime that you're supposed to have. And what did she get in return, this ban on tea, who opened her house uh, to be overrun by teenagers? She fed us, looking after us like they were her own kids. What did she get? Chaos. Made too much noise. There was people that snuck out at night. We probably ate them out of house and home as well and probably spoke 
too much English. You know what I mean? Uh, what about the themed nights at the Gale Talks? Oh yeah, you could arrive there with your suitcase full of everything from, you know, a cowboy hat to black and white clothes to your county jersey. Anything that would make, you know, a costume last minute because they loved springing a themed night on you, you know. And group costumes included anything from Ghostbusters to recreations of The Last Supper. I kid you not. And there was no shops in rural Irish countryside. There'd probably be one, one shop. One shot shop. Uh, now, another memory from the Gale Tucked is uh, sometimes the ban on tea. There'd be one that just was not great at cooking. And that would sort of be doing the rounds. People would be talking about, oh, you know, the crap cooking they've had. What am I going to eat? They lived on a diet, basically, of sweets and crisps from, you know, the the, the, the local shop. Uh, another memory, Irish versions of pop songs. So the world's biggest hits in Irish tongue. Yeah, we used to do, we had Samantha Mumba's hit song. Um, and then we just changed all the lyrics into Irish to be about the Gale Talk. And there was like a talent show at the end. They always do that, don't they? Uh, people, there was a one doing the rounds actually in early 2010s. Uh, people singing I Got a Feeling. Uh, <laughs> as well. Another thing, the decoy, the decoy mobile, mobile phones. You're not allowed mobile phones, right, at the Gale Talk. And more often than not, they'd be confiscated and put into sort of, you know, a tin, biscuit tin or something like that in the Banantee's house. You were allowed them, I think, once a week, but people would try and sneak them, you know, or you're, sometimes you're not allowed them at all and people would be smuggling them in, in through their pillowcases and all sorts of stuff, all sorts of things like that. The beautiful countryside people remember as well, uh, you know, being so remote, people would remember this sort of stuff. And... um also, there was uh, you know talent shows, as I said on the on the last night, and so many uh, you know responses with everything, particularly in the first week with ta, <laughs> ta, sha, because <laughs> that's the only words that you knew. So they are my memories of the Gale Talks, and you know, date you can have a chat about that. The pop up Gale Talks in Ryan's Bar tomorrow night from eight pm. I would love to love as cool as there's the Coors, love to love you. The Coors from Dundalk. And Dundalk is very much in focus once again because it's being transformed into a kaleidoscope of colour because the annual Seek Urban Arts Festival is underway at the moment. I'm going to be chatting to Cormac Dillon. He's from Mac Signs, so he's one of the artists involved in this year. And also he's the guy behind that amazing Sweet Afton Uh, mural that was on the old Carol's building there on Church Street. We're going to be chatting to Cormac about his involvement this year, just after these. The 11 to 1 show. Dundalk is being transformed once again into a kaleidoscope of colour as the annual Seek Urban Arts Festival is underway. So this festival is a collaboration of people who are passionate about using the arts alongside our cultural heritage to help regenerate, refocus and enrich the overall perception of the town. And they are attracting artists from around the world who are creating stunning works on iconic buildings around the town. I'm delighted to have one of these artists on the line. Cormac Dillon from Max Signs is with us. How are you getting on, Cormac? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am great. I'm delighted to be chatting to the man behind the now famous, beautiful Sweet Afton mural on the original Carol's Cigarette Building. You're the man behind that. 
Yes, yeah, yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so that's, that's us. We've we, we done that. So I, I work with my colleague, Sean Atani Gavin, sorry, Sean Atani Gavigan. So the two of us work together and we both created that um, uh, last year for Seek. So it was great. Yeah, and like it really hits you as soon as you go onto the, the street there. It just stands out so, so well. It's absolutely stunning. But tell us a little bit more about yourself, Cormac. You um, set up Max Signs, which is based in Dublin. Is that right? Yeah, we're based in like North County Dublin in the Nall, um, and I set it up about seven years ago. And I, I started on my own doing traditional sign writing and mural art. And um, I suppose over the years we've gotten a huge demand for the work. So now I, I work with Sean and the two of us uh, create create fabulous murals and, and sign writing, kind of throughout the country, really. Yeah, I've been on the website. I saw some of the work; absolutely stunning. And I mean, what what drew you to sort of specialising in this sort of traditional lettering and and the murals? I suppose it comes from my background from graffiti when I was younger. Mm. Um, I would have started with that when uh, in Drogheda under the Bridge of Peace. Oh, we know it well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of where I started out so as a personal practice, you know, as a, as a teenager. And I kind of discovered sign writing and it was a way I was like, oh, I can paint letters and for a living because I was painting letters for fun and I figured out a way of painting letters for a living. And I a huge passion for, for lettering and, and mural art and everything, so it was great. So I, I, I did a an apprenticeship when I was 18 in traditional sign writing and I uh, haven't, haven't looked back since. I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, so don't believe what you say, people. A lot of work can actually come out of being creative and artistic where people say, go and get a sensible job now. Cormac is the example. He's created a business out of this. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and you also create this beautiful um, gold leaf lettering for people. Now, this is quite an old tradition that's going ma- back many years in, in signage. Like People would have seen this years ago uh, all over Ireland. Yeah, traditional gold leaf lettering and gold leaf signage. And there's various ways of, to do it. You can do it on the surface of the shop front or we can also do it onto glass, on the, like, you know, the front of the building on the, yeah. on the glass. And it looks really special on glass. Oh, it does, um, yeah. So that, that is very specialised and it's, it's, there is a resurgence of it. There's mm. lots of people kind of getting back into it, but uh, it was almost lost um, to an extent. But um Luckily, we, there's a lot of passionate young sign writers out there and a few older ones as well. And there's a lot of um, people in the UK as well doing it. So it's not going anywhere anytime soon, but um, it's really traditional and it's it's great. It's, it's probably the kind of the nicest kind of sign you can get would be a gold leaf sign. Oh, it really is. And as you say, when it's on the glass, it really makes everything pop and it has that really just gorgeous vintage sort of feel to, 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 to the shop fronts as well. And it's great to see that appreciation coming back. So tell us a little bit about the Sweet Afton project because that's the one that's kind of from last year for the, the Secret Arts Festival. So where did the idea or concept for this come from? Did they come to you with the idea? Yeah, so the guys in Seek, um, um, Martin came to us and he kind of came with the concept. He said, look, he, he told me the story about mm. Sweet Afton. He said, this is the Carol's building where they made Sweet Afton. And the man who made Sweet Afton was walking in the graveyard across the road in the church. And um, what's, what's the guy's name? Robert? The, oh, you're putting, oh, God, it's escaping me now. Yes, I, do, I, I think I know who you're talking about. It'll come to me. It's come the guy with, the, with his picture. Yes. Um, anyway, so he's the Spanish, uh, so not Spanish, Scottish. Scottish poet, yes, famous Scottish poet. That like his name is escaping me, but um, his sister was buried in that graveyard, and he wrote the poem about his sister. So that's the reason the man from Carol decided to call 
the cigarette sweet afton the one that oh. famously famously uh you know it's a pretty famous cigarette that people yeah. smoke so that was the reason for the poem came the, the name of the cigarette came from the poem and then we martin came to us with the poem and said we want to put the poem up on the wall so we decided to like okay what will we do will we do the whole poem or will we do a section of it or anything and for us to really flex our skills with, with lettering and typography and everything, it, less is more. So we decided to take the first four, four words of the poem, Flow Gently, Sweet Afton, and just create a really beautiful piece with some embellished lettering. So if you look at the lettering, it's got like shading on it and it's got a cast shadow. So it really looks like it's popping off the wall. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Robert Burns, by the way. How could we forget Burns? It's such a common, yeah, yeah. It did, it totally escaped me there for a second. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's... The Scots are cursing us right now. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's that's the piece de resistance in this, is the the beautiful lettering of those couple of lines, I think. Yeah, and then we took the emblem from the cigarette bottle, or cigarette end case, Mm. with with Robert Burns' face, and we put that up there as well, because he was the poet, and he's the famous face that was on the cigarette packet. And you see, I didn't know any of that until the, the, the actual Seek Arts Festival came about. And that's absolutely fascinating. But how painstaking is a project like this? Like, like you know, obviously creating the, the figure of Robert Burns, but also the lettering. Like, is one wrong move and it's ruined sort of thing? Or Not so much, but it is painstaking. There's, there's no quick way of doing it. And there's no quick way of, of doing sign writing. Um, but I think in, in total, the project probably took us about five days. So the first two days was pretty much drawing, drawing it all up there, so making sure that once we have the drawing to scale and correct, and we come in with the paintbrushes. So really, that's really the most important part is getting the drawing on pro- properly. Mm. And then we come in with the paintbrushes. And look, we make mistakes all the time, paint drips and stuff. And at the end of the day, it is only paint. You can paint over it. So it's not a case of like it's ruined. It's, um, <laughs> It might feel like that sometimes. but um, Oh, you'd be kicking yourself. I know, I know completely. I know how temperamental you are to Sarah when it comes to this sort of stuff. Oh, by the way, thank you, David Toohey. Yeah, we have it, Burns. He's after messaging in about that. Um, but what about working up high, Cormac, as well? Like, you know, like you wouldn't want to be fearful of heights. Do you ever get dizzy up there? Are you working long hours up, up high? Not so much. You can't as part of the job. So you, you do have to get used to it. Um, I remember working in, in Australia with a lady before and we were working on a cherry picker and she was scared and stuff and um, she was like, oh, I, mean, I can't do this, I have to call the boss. So she called the boss and then she came back and goes, okay, let's go back up. And I was like, well, what did he say? Because if I don't go up, I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get you over your fear pretty sharp. Yeah, pretty much. So she got up and worked for the day. But um, when you're up on the cherry picker, it does weigh a lot. Yeah. So you kind of get, you know, mo- not motion sickness, but you know when you're on a boat for a long time. Okay. You know, the boat and you feel like you're still on it. You kind of get a little bit of that. But then, um, no, we, we don't have much fear of heights. No, you kind of have to. You have to keep focused on the task at hand. Don't look down, exactly. really, is the thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so for people not familiar with the, the Seek Urban Arts Initiative, can you tell us a little bit more about it? So I think it's, this is the fifth year it's, it's been going. And um, I, I think Seek, they've took on a good selection of Irish and international artists. And for the most part, I believe the the kind of theme around the project is about local history and mm. local mythology. So over the five years, there's been plenty of murals created with that theme. But each artist brings their own 
uh, style and element to it you know so it's not like all the pieces look the same oh they're all just so unique yeah they're really unique unique. yeah Yeah. and they're just stunning I mean it really has completely revitalised the town in in terms of the colour like you just see all this amazing colour when you go through so you're very busy working on something at the moment tell us what you're working on for this year we're working on a very complex piece at the moment and it is Again, this relates back to local history. It, it, we're working on a blueprint of a train that was built in Dundalk in 1937, I believe. Wow. So the guys from Seek gave us the blueprint and said, look, we want to recreate this and put it up on the wall. And I tell you, when I seen the blueprint, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> it's like intricate. It's, a, it's intricate. It's a full proper um, engineering drawing. Like it's, 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 um, so we kind of have to adapt it. Yeah in order to be able to paint it. Um, so we adapted it slightly, but we still have a, a huge amount of detail in it and it looks really, really good. So we're kind of halfway through it now. And it, it is a blueprint of a train, but yeah. right now it will be hard to tell it's a train because it's only half done. So when we get the other half, it'll be very clear that it's a train. Um, and what, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, there's a little fun fact about the train. Oh, yeah. So the, the wall is huge. It's about a 15-metre long wall, seven metres high. And as I was scaling the artwork, I was like, geez, we could we could do the train to scale. Yeah. The actual scale of how they, when they built it. So I, when I was doing my measurements and stuff, literally scaled it up. So the train that we're painting on the wall is the exact size of the train that was built in Dundalk. Uh, amazing. So whereabouts is this going to be painted? Where, where, where in the town? It's on a secondary school beside the Marshes Shopping Centre. Oh, I don't have the name, I'm afraid. Fantastic. School, yes, yes. Oh, that's going to be amazing. So the, people can, this, you're very much in progress. People are, I no doubt, stopping and having a good gawk as well, Cormac, as you work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now we're, we're a little bit away from the footpath, but you can see it from the main road and you can see it from the car park of the shopping centre. Um, so we've, we've had a few people glimpsing. But um, we we always get a good response from people when we're painting murals. And when we did the Sweet Aspen piece last year, we were we were on the road, and we got loads of compliments and loads of um, goodwill from from everyone and all the passers-by, which is which is great. Oh, it really is, and it's great to see artists like yourself supported in this way, and to have your work celebrated in such a big way. Like it's going to be there for so many years to come. Yeah, that's, that's the plan, hopefully, you know, as long as we've done it right. But, um, <laughs> oh, listen, but, Cormac, you're doing it right. Don't worry. <laughs> but it, it, is, it is great now that we're lucky enough that me and then I know a lot of other artists in, in Ireland and it's great with, with murals. They've gained a, a lot of popularity in recent years and it's, it's brilliant that we can all sustain a living from yeah. it. You know, it, it's, um, there, there is a good community of mural artists in Ireland and I'm happy to be part of it. Uh, listen, we are delighted to be able to have your wonderful work displayed all over the town of Dundalk. It is absolutely fantastic. I'm going to let you get back to it there, Cormac. But thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, well, look, thanks, thanks, Sinead. It's really nice chatting with you. You too, you too. Thanks a million. Cormac Dillon there. All oh, be excited to see the finished work, that is for sure. By the way, the street tour, so it's kind of street and eat. It's going to be a guided walk through the artworks created in Dundalk as part of Seek Festival. So the tour was also going to feature amazing murals from years gone by. It's happening this Thursday, so tomorrow, at the Tipsy Cow at 6.30pm. Now, you need to book, okay, you need to book tickets and no doubt they will go fast. I think there's a limited number. Seekdundalk.ie. That is where you're going to get all the information about that and about this year's artists.
the 11 to 1 show. We're going back in time and a popular toy popping up in the Northeast Update. LMFM Northeast Update with Senator Windows. Senator Windows products will help you create a secure, comfortable, energy efficient home you're proud of. Call 0818 7444455. On this day in 1957, a US Surgeon General Leroy Burney connects smoking with lung cancer. And today is Etch a Sketch Day. Yeah, remember that thing where you draw pictures on it and then you'd shake it and the picture would remove. It was a French inventor, André Cassangs, who set, created the mechanical drawing toy and it was manufactured by Ohio Art Company and it was available uh, actually on this date in 1960, so kind of at the baby boom peak. And at the time it was sold for $2.99 and it's known as one of the best toys and it went on to sell 600,000 units and it was entered into the National Toy Hall of Fame, which happened in 1988. LMFM Northeast Update with Senator Windows. Creating the perfect home is a journey. Let us guide you. Visit our Drogheda, Dundalk and new Navin showrooms. Discover more at senatorwindows.ie There's Kings Leon. Use somebody in LMFM's 11 to 1. On the way, I'm going to be joined by author Kathleen McMahon. She's the granddaughter of one of Ireland's most famous writers. We're going to be talking about Mary Lavin, who is from Bective County Meath. The 11 to 1 show. Roald Dahl's most famous beloved characters has another big screen adaptation. More details on that after Pink. On air, online, on your smart speaker, this is LMFM. Sinead Brazel here with you till 1 086 658. Now, any on screen adaptation of this character. I am on board with it. I know that's controversial, particularly people who are fans of the 1970s movie. But Roald Dahl's Willy Wonka, come on, I'm on board. It's a colourful character. You know, you get to kind of run wild with ideas and spectacle and visual and the type of casting when it comes to Wonka. And I am delighted to see this new trailer dropping. Uh, And... (laughs) It has, first of all, Timothy Chalamet as Wonka. Yeah, I can get that. Plus, by the way, this is a prequel. So it's a prequel to sort of his chocolate factory opening and all of that. Hugh Grant as an Oompa Loompa. I mean, if that's not a selling point for you, I don't know what will. But this is uh, dropped. It's um, And Hugh Grant, by the way, is uh, seen in the trailer and uh, he's complete as tiny CGI Oompa Loompa with green hair and an orange face. So this looks like kind of a mixture of the the two. He, um, Timothy Chalamet does look like a little bit like um, Johnny Depp's character. He kind of has the, you know, the same sort of velvety coat. It's not quite, you know, as purple as the Gene Wilder. It's not quite as duller looking, say, colour as as the Johnny Depp. So it's sort of a mix in between, I'm going to say. And um, this is obviously based on the children's book, but it is very much um, a prequel. So how did he get his chocolate chop? What happened? And uh, it's it's got, it looks amazing. By the way, Paul King is the director. So the guy behind the Paddington films, which is, you know, safe hands there. And uh, I'm going to give you a little taster of the trailer. So here it is, Wonka. I've spent the past seven years traveling the world perfecting my craft. You see, I'm something of a magician, inventor, and chocolate maker. So quiet up and listen down. Nope, scratch that, reverse it. Mr. Wonka, I can see you're a man of great ingenuity. What are you doing? 
I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? Dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. Many people have come here to sell chocolate. They've all been crushed by the chocolate cartel. You can't get a shop without selling chocolate, and you can't sell chocolate without a shop. No daydreaming. What are we gonna do, Willie? Huh? 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 A double huh? Get the pencil and paper. Uh huh. I got an idea. I know things haven't been easy for you. They're gonna get better. You promise? Oh, look, it looks amazing. Producer of Harry Potter in here as well, I should say, also. And it's just, I'm on board. I'm on board with the razzle-dazzle. The, you know, the sets look amazing. The uh, costumes look amazing. And I have to give you a little taster of Hugh Grant in action as an Oompa Loompa. Here he is. So you're the funny little man who's been following. I will have you know that I am a perfectly respectable size for an Oompa Loompa. An Oompa what now? Allow me to refresh your memory. Oh, I don't think I want to hear that. Too late. I've started dancing now. Once we've started, we can't stop. (laughs) Looks absolutely brilliant. It's going to be in cinemas December 15th and no doubt it's going to be a huge event. And look, I am a big fan of the original. I am a fan of the Johnny Depp one. A lot of people don't like the Johnny Depp one. So I'm definitely on board for Wonka. Now let's see what else is happening in the world of showbiz. The Buzz on LMFM. Keep up to date with all the latest news and gossip on the LMFM app. Hi, I'm Max Kane. Adam Devine does not hold back as he recalls doing stunt work alongside Pierce Brosnan and Ellen Barkin in Netflix's The Outlaws. Here's what he said. They both were such pros. Anytime, like, we'd do a big shootout in a bakery, they made me, like, dive through cake, and I had to do it, like, three times because they are like, hmm. It just was looked clumsy, and I'm like, well, it's, it's going to have to look point. It's going to yeah. have to look clumsy. And that's, that's why whenever I produce a film, I make sure the character fits my physical limitations. Calvin Harris and Sam Smith are reuniting for a new collaboration. The song, called Desire, comes out soon. The DJ performed the song at Longitude in Dublin. Timothy Chalamet is getting ready for Wonka Mania, with the prequel to The Chocolate Factory getting its release this Christmas. Timothy stars as the man himself, Willy Wonka. You can see the whole trailer on our website, but here's a taster of it. Mr. Wonka, I can see you're a man of great ingenuity. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? Dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. Many people have come here to sell chocolate. They've all been crushed by the chocolate cartel. You can't get a shop without selling chocolate. And you can't sell chocolate without a shop. That's The Buzz. I'm Max Kane. The Buzz on LMFM. Keep up to date with all the latest news and gossip on the LMFM app. Oh, great minds, Max Kane. Myself and yourself. Absolutely brilliant. I can also say that another of our entertainment reporters is away on a very special project that could be involving a certain movie with Margot Robbie that could be on this show this week. Just saying. I did get a little exclusive from our pal Crossy. Now getting back to the music and here's Calvin Harris with Ellie Goulding. 
Calvin Harris, Ellie Golding, Miracle on LMFM's 11 to 1. Now I'm going to be joined by author Kathleen McMahon. She's going to be joining me to discuss the work of her grandmother, Mary Lavin, because Blood in the Alley Theatre Company are bringing a production exploring Mary Lavin's life and work to the stage. It's going to be touring Cork, Dublin and me that we're going to join Kathleen next. The 11 to 1 show. Mary Lavin was a pioneering female short story writer and novelist from Becht of County Mead. She's one of Ireland's greatest writers, boldly tackling feminist issues and concerns in her work at a time when the Catholic Church was a domineering force in Irish society. Beginning this week, Blood in the Alley Theatre Company is introducing their groundbreaking production entitled Bringing Mary Lavin to Life in the Middle of the Fields. It's touring Dublin, Cork and Mead and I'm delighted now to be joined on the line by one of Mary Lavin's relatives. She's a talented writer in her her own right, author of four novels, the latest entitled The Home Scar. Granddaughter of Mary Lavin, Kathleen McMahon is on the line with me now. How are you getting on, Kathleen? I'm great, thank you. I'm delighted to join you for this, to talk about this amazing production, yeah. Yeah, great to have you. Now, we had this conversation on the show the other day because apparently Granny is now dying out, right? It's all Nanas and Nonies and all these other names for grandparents. But I'm curious, what did you call Mary? Did you call her Granny or Nana? Oh, Lord, no. We would never have been allowed to call her granny. It was kind of a joke. She was strictly grandmother. She was a woman who had notions, you know, as 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 a girl who was born as the daughter of the estate manager in Bechtiff House. I mean, it was that was not their house. Um, they were hired to run. Her father was hired to run the place. Yeah. But she did have notions and uh, granny would never have been allowed. We were we were told to call her grandmother. Um, which was, but she had a sense of fun as well. So we were allowed to abbreviate that to Mud. Mud? Mud or Mud. So actually the family name for her was Mud, um, which kind of shows everything about her personality. She was unconventional, but she was fun. Um, And, you know, things were the way she wanted them to be. She was quite particular. Yeah, and I, you know, it's funny because, like, I would have had two, two, my two grandparents, one of them was definitely like granny, like, do you know what I mean? Like, she meant business, she was granny, and the other one was nana, like, you know what I mean? So I can totally get where I'm exactly the same. I had a nana who made pavlovas and gave us a fiver, or actually a tencil cut purple. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But grandmother, as she's known, or mud, was not that kind of granny. You know, there was no cake making. There was, but, which is not to say she wasn't warm. I mean, Mm. she was a fantastically warm grandmother. She was the kind of grandmother you can climb into her bed if you have a nightmare. Um, And, you know, she, what I find amazing as a child is, I don't really remember her work being a big thing. So it was there in the house. I do remember her writing on a, uh, wooden board in bed. Wow. So she'd like to stay in bed in the mornings and, and she'd set one of the, you know, those wooden tray yeah. tables over her knees and my, her husband, my step-grandfather would bring her up pots of tea and she'd write away. But, you know, there was no edict to be quiet around okay. her because she was writing. So, you'd, you know, we'd be tumbling in and out of the room and, um, you know, she took her work very seriously but I don't think she took herself very seriously which is a nice Maybe a very womanly way to be a writer. Oh, totally. Totally it is. And I was going to ask you, like, was she that type of grandmother that would be like, okay, gather around everybody for a story? Or was her writing for, I suppose, financial or for herself? Or did she like tell you stories? 
Well, everything was a story. And that's not just her. That's, mm. you know, her daughters, my mother and her sisters. And so when I get asked about, you know, writing, going down through the family, because my cousin Alice is a novelist of as well. Of course, yeah. My aunt Liz was a poet. You know, there's a lot of it. And I think... You know, in the same way that some families are doctors and everybody's used to the stethoscope in the handbag and that's just normal, in our family telling stories was normal. So it wasn't that there was a delineation between the writing and the storytelling. It's mm. just everything was a story. And you could see her interest in character. You know, as children, I remember, kind of being judged in a way that somebody who's a student of character will judge people. You know, mm. I remember my cousin Adam at one stage going out around the field and getting loads of nettle stings and he didn't cry, he didn't complain. And it was only when somebody saw the stings on his legs that uh, we noticed. And that became a story. Yes. Which was an illustration of his character. I remember feeling very jealous that he had been awarded such a, Medal of Honour for his courage. Yeah. And that story would have been told over and over again. So, you know, people's actions, the things they displayed about themselves and their behaviour were became... noted yeah. and turned into stories. And I mean, oh my God, just listening to you there, you create such a picture. I can visualise this little boy with all these nettle stings running in. But, you yeah. know, like, like it's, it's obvious that you were absolutely meant to be a writer, that it's in the blood. But did you, did she know that you were going to be a writer? Did you write during her lifetime? Did that ever come into the, because I mean, she passed away no. in the 96, so maybe. Yeah, no. I, she died in 1996. I was 26. I'm the oldest grandchild. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alice would have been about 10, I think, when she's died. Alice and I are, are bookends in the family. I'm, yeah. I'm the oldest grandchild and she's the youngest. Um, no. And I don't think I would have dared to write when she was alive. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, people always talk about <laughs> imposter syndrome. I've yeah. talked about it a lot myself. Women always talk about, this isn't imposter syndrome. When you go back to read her work, it's so good. I was yeah. right to be terrified. Oh, totally. You know? Yeah, and you know um, that that brings me though nicely to you know her you know her work is now getting the appreciation it, it deserves. But I mean, for so long it was really underappreciated here. You know, I mean, I know I you know so. she won awards and and she did garner you know attention here and there. But it, really, it was internationally more so than than nationally that she got the recognition. Did that bother so her? Right. Did it bother ye? Well, you're so right. You know, I think in every writer's life, there's ups, you know, there's there's peaks and troughs. I mean, the time in the 1950s and 60s when she was a widow, um, mm. before she married again, when she was raising her girls and everything, I think she did enjoy a lot of recognition. She was definitely part of that group of Irish writers. They were her friends, Frank mm. O'Connor, John McGahan, um, who was younger than her, uh, you know, Kavanaugh. It was a small group, but I think the difference with her is she wasn't in the pub because yeah. she was a young widow with teenage children, you know. Mm. So she wasn't really free to go to the pub. So for me, that was quite radical about her life when I look back on it. I'm not sure she would have been aware of that at the time. She cooked dinner for people instead in her muse in Dublin, and it became a real centre for writers to gather. Um, Recognition-wise, in those years, there was massive international recognition. Mm. I mean, you know, we've recently um, given her archives of letters to UCD and they're there for academics who are interested. That's um, uh, very recent, only in the last year or two, isn't it? Only in the mm. last year. And, you know, it's extraordinary to go back through those letters and read, yeah. you know, J.D. Salinger writing to her, telling Amazing. her he admires her work mm. and um, Eudora Welty. So I think you're right. There was absolutely widespread recognition of her work 
internationally, especially in America. Yeah. Um, I think there was a period then towards the end of her life, and you know, part of it is she was getting old, so she wasn't yeah. out there promoting herself. Um, and after she died, there was obviously great recognition. of She became a C, which is, you know, one of the top five awards for the arts. And, you know, there are five elders of the arts in Ireland, and she, she was one of them in her yeah. lifetime. Um, but I think what followed after that was a strange period. And I remember at some stage seeing somebody writing about her, describing her as a quiet writer. You know, she'd never been banned, which was a mark <laughs> against her. Um, yeah. yeah, although, but, you know, what, her work was quite daring. Story, yeah. Go yeah. on. Well, that's the thing. You read a story mm. like Sarah, which was from the 1940s, about mm. a, a woman who wasn't married and had a couple of children by different men in the village. You read this story in the middle of the field. Yeah. And it's kind of mind-boggling how anybody would have described her as a quiet writer. I think it was because women's stories weren't taken very seriously, you know? And then you see she's writing these stories that are as relevant now as they were when she wrote them, don't you think? Oh, t- oh, completely. And I mean, you know, there's there's a couple of things I want to touch on in terms of the writing. I mean, you 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 spoke about her her first husband William. I mean, his death he had a huge impact on her and and her work. I mean, did you hear much from your own mother about what life was like once he had passed away? That must have been so so challenging. And you know, she really was at that stage going, oh, that this writing, I need to make money from this writing. Yeah, I think the trauma of William's death, my mother was 10 and my Aunt Caroline was only a baby. And I think Mary, grandmother, was very traumatised by his death. Uh, And I know that because they didn't really speak about it. My mother Mm. never spoke about it. And this is in a family who talked a lot. Yeah. So sometimes you can measure the trauma by the things that aren't said. Um, Mary really had very hard times after that. And there was huge pressure to earn, to bring in the money. She was supporting her own elderly mother as well. Okay, right. So the New Yorker contract, which actually she was introduced to the New Yorker by Salinger, would have been really just an absolute financial mainstay. The New Mm. Yorker paid very well then, as they do now. So she she was contracted to write them and wrote over a dozen stories for them in the next 10, 20 years. And my mother remembered, you know, the cheque from the New Yorker would come in and, and grandmother would say, come on, we'll all go to Dublin and get shoes. OK. Um, it was but a big deal. But it'd be deal. straight into the band Thomas's, you yes. know. Yes, OK. Um, <laughs> though they would have been living on the breadline for months, you know. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And I think, you know, it's amazing to think that now, that making a living as a writer is not easy. But now as it was then. Yeah. And to think that she did that from her desk in the Abbey Farm in Mead, I find that amazing. I mean, there's so many things that I find in her to admire now, looking back on her life, that I think are just amazing. I mean, she sat there and she wrote these stories and she brought in the money and she supported her girls and her own mother by uh, her writing. I mean, no wonder feminists <laughs> love her, you know. I mean, she... Yeah, yeah. well, that's it. You know, she's... And, you know, she wasn't really an overt feminist. I no. I she was a political person at no, all. No, she wasn't, no. Maybe that's why, you know, she wasn't yes. waving, waving any slogans around. I think, in a way, because she was too complex a writer to do that, she yeah. was a storyteller, and her stories are always complex. I mean, even this story, which, in a way, is a Me Too story in the middle of the field. It is a Me complex. Too story. I, do you know, now that you say that, the penny totally has dropped with regards to that. And, you know, this is, um, I should mention, this is reimagined in, in a brilliant production by Blood in the Alley Theatre. It's touring, it's beginning the tour this week, Dublin, Cork and Meath, but it's pretty, pretty true to the story. It's pretty much word for word, isn't it? 
it is word for word. Okay. It's an amazing thing Joan Sheehy has done with this story because she has taken Mary Lavin's words, not just the dialogue, but also the author's uh, narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's performed word for word. It's only an hour long. Which, okay. uh, you know, I'm sometimes terrified of theatrical productions that are very long. So it's worth telling people, don't be scared. It's only an hour. Um, and it's just beautiful. And um, Kathy Rose O'Brien, who plays the character of Vera, which really is Mary Lavin, mm. the widow on her own in the, in the house in the middle of the fields, who's frightened at night. I mean, it's such an evocative story. Oh, it's such an evocative story. I remember seeing this in Belinter House um, and it was really, really small room, very kind of small audience a couple of years ago and it's claustrophobic, it's evocative, it's so tense but then there's this like surge of passion like there's there's so much going on and this is why Mary Lavin is so important because she not only created strong female characters but she dared to write about female sexuality and the complexities uh, that that arise within all of that because as you rightly say this is totally a Me Too story as well. Well, that's exactly it. And I think com- complexity is is the word you use there and it's key. You know, I mean, this story is actually like a play. Mm. You know, it's it's it all takes place within a small space of this doorway and hallway with the fields around and the dark falling. And she's nervous and this farmer calls to the door and he's supposed to top the, the grass for her the next day. Yeah. But he's coming to tell her he can't. And, you know, every woman has been in that situation. You open the door, it's late at night. She hasn't. Her hair is down, so she mm-hmm. feels kind of exposed and she's in her nightdress and she's in her robe. And he's taking advantage of her. First of all, it's dark, so she feels vulnerable. And second of all, he's coming to tell her that he's not coming to cut the grass after all, that he's put somebody else before her. So you have this amazing complexity straight away where she feels vulnerable, but she fights back because she's mm-hmm. not having it. She says, no, no, you agreed to do this for me tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I- I'm not having you putting somebody else before me. So straight away, there's never anything simple with her. And you end up with this, as I say, me too kind of situation. Yeah. But then she moves beyond it. So always with her, I think, she goes somewhere that you're not expecting. Oh, she does. She does. And and that's that's the beauty of, like you say, it's such a simple story in some ways, in the sense that there's this guy, he comes to the door, he's promised her something, he's now going back on the promise, but it's everything that's always as well untold that goes between them which is is so so fascinating about this piece I mean no wonder no wonder they've chosen this particular work uh, to explore absolutely and uh, the the tour is going to arrive um, rightfully back in County Meath which of course Mary has uh, such huge connections to did she spend most of the the rest of her life in Meath uh, uh, Kathleen? Yes Um, she was born in Bechtop House as Mm. I say and then uh, when she got married uh in around 1942, I think, she built her own house on a, on a hundred acres that I think she was gifted by her father mm-hmm. on the edge of Bechtel House. Um, and it was the most amazing farm looking out. People will be familiar with it. Looking out over the river, Bechtel Abbey was actually on the hundred acres. Right. So she owned that site. She ended up giving it to the OPW um, because she was worried about maintaining it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a beautiful site and this is where the story is set. And she did she, she lived in the Abbey Farm. They farmed there. They farmed cattle there. Um, but she always had a muse in Dublin, which she bought when the girls um, were going to school and college. And she kind of came up and down to Dublin oh, a okay. lot. 
But yeah. Bechtel, I mean, Bechtel was her home always. I mean, you know, a lot of the stories are set in Bechtel. Some of them, the early stories, some of them are set in Athenry, where she, where she spent her early childhood uh, among her mother's people. Mm-hmm. But pretty much everything else is set in Bechtel. Yeah. And some, some in Dublin, the widow stories. So, yes. you know, her work is hugely autobiographical. Oh, hugely, absolutely. And how do you think she would feel now about this great celebration and appreciation of her work? Like, how would she feel about seeing a production like this being brought to the to the stage? Oh, I think she'd be thrilled, and I think especially to see it brought to Bechtel would mean so much mm. to her. I mean, Bechtel was where her heart was, you know, and I think that would mean so much to her to see it take place. To my mother and sisters, they're all gone, sadly, now, but oh, I think it would mean so much to yes. them to see this production literally come home, you know. Um, it's very emotional for us. It's very moving. Um, and we're all going to go and see it, my, my cousins and I, and uh, it's just an amazing, an amazing development that this is going to be staged right looking over the Boyne there at Bechtel Bridge Oh, it really is. And, you know, I'm I'm excited to see it myself. Kathleen, I could talk to you all day about this incredible woman. I really could. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, maybe we'll do it again. There's oh, we will. To say, but you're so good to have me on to talk about her. Thank- I know there's huge interest still in her out there, which is which is fantastic. You know, uh, 20, uh, nearly 30 years after her death, which yeah. is just marvellous. It really is. And long may that continue. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for joining me today. Tickets are available for this. Uh, it is called uh, In the Middle of the Fields, Bringing Mary um, Lavin to Life and it's available via Eventbrite. So it's touring at the moment in West Cork uh, as part of the Fit Up Festival and then it's going to Dublin's Richmond Barracks uh, from July 18th to the 29th. Finally coming back to her home place in Becht of Meath uh, from August 1st to the 5th. So you can get the tickets eventbrite.ie Bringing Mary Lavin to Life in the Middle of the Fields. That's where you can search there when you go into Eventbrite and uh, yeah it's going to be one of those kind of uh, fantastic productions and as Kathleen says there at home in County Meath overlooking that fantastic landscape absolutely brilliant The 11 to 1 show with the sweetest thing and LMFM's 11 to 1 I've got music from Leanne Rhymes on the way right after these LMFM Job Search with Local Heroes backed by Board Gosh Energy win All-Ireland Senior Hurling Final Tickets with new boiler installations T's and C's apply see localheroes.ie Mead Local Sports Partnership require an office administrator for one year maternity cover to apply for this please send your cover letter and CV to mary.murphy at meadcoco.ie and the City Bin Company requires HGV drivers for their Dublin team to email to apply email careers at citybin.com. Don't forget all the details of those jobs can be found on our local job section on lmfm.ie. LMFM Job Search with Local Heroes, backed by Bordgosh Energy. For gas boilers, heat pumps and electric vehicle charge point installation, visit localheroes.ie. Get to your heart.
Leanne Rhymes can't fight the moonlight. Just want to let you know, Drogheda and District Chamber, they are holding a coffee and chat event in Drogheda Credit Union. That is tomorrow morning from 8am. Local business owners and managers will be welcomed by Drogheda Chamber President Hubert Murphy and they'll have the chance to meet and chat with each other over a light breakfast. If you want more details, Brenda at drogheda.chamber.ie or drogheda.chamber.ie, the website there. Going to take a quick break and we're back with music from Mr. Mister. The 11 to 1 show. Friday at Forever Young. There's Mr. Mr. Broken Wings and LMFM's 11 to 1. Mr. Jerry Kelly is out and about today at Blackstone Motors in Dundalk. He'll be bringing you, he'll be coming to you live from there at half one. Now back to ourselves very briefly because tomorrow I'm very excited about this because Maria Macklin's going to be joining us and we're going to be talking about Barbie style. Yeah, the impact of the Barbie movie which is coming out on the 21st of this month. So you've everything from twin sets to an iconic cocktail dress to so much pink. We're going to be chatting about that with Maria Macklin on tomorrow's show. That is our lot on the show for today. Thank you to all the guests and to you for your company. We'll chat to you again tomorrow. The 11 to 1 show. L-M-F-M. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.